the theme for the evening talk is the teachings of non-clinging. Perhaps sometimes when we think of religious life and experience, we uh, might associate it with um, various kind of uh, forms and the major and minor religions of the world have in various ways stamped their impressions and approvals and disapprovals upon us. We might look at religions in terms of their commonality from the standpoint of strong <coughs> beliefs, uh, various uh, dogmas, and quite often um, an outlook and an attitude of certainty and conviction. The conviction having such a strength to it that there's no flexibility, there's no movement of heart nor mind to consider possibly alternatives. And it's not unusual in a, a secular culture and the, the fashion of liberal views that mind doesn't know where to place itself. It doesn't see itself as feeling fulfilled and satisfied through uh, specialising in a particular career, even if one is relatively successful at it, and it doesn't feel nourished and deeply inwardly rewarded, so to speak, for all that secularism can offer, despite it being a, the major religion of our time. Mm -hmm. And yet, alternatives to all of that also don't seem particularly appealing. Various religions with the absolutisms that it contains, strong belief in an all-powerful, all-present uh, God, the suffering of the earth and the seeming contradictions between a loving Father in heaven and the pains and trials and obscenities that go on on the earth. It's not unusual with all of that, that there can be for some, particularly probably most of us, brought up in a Judeo-Christian uh, environment and culture, to feel and experience quite some resentment and hostility to it. We had uh, quite a good example here in the convent. Uh, what was the convent? And the background to it is uh, my uh, mother gave a rather nice hand-broidered um, painting, uh, um, woven picture, quite a, a large size, uh, showing 
that Jesus, with his friends, apostles, uh, at the Large Supper. Now this has been languishing in the office here for weeks. And some uncertainty, I suspect, about where, if at all, to hang it. And part of the uh, reason for the uh, thinking amongst uh, some right here on the gossip line is that sometimes people come into places like this, as I referred to in the opening evening, and it reminds them of Catholic boarding school or the convent school or um, particularly terrifying priests and nuns who educated, educated us or whatever, all sorts of associations. And which, in, in my view, would be a very good reason to hang it up in a prominent place that uh, others will think differently. And so there's contact with the world that we experience and the associations that come along with it and responses, reactions that might come from within in the impact upon the senses. It would be easy in all of this to construe that the essential feature of religious life is the adopting and the taking up of strong beliefs and having a very deep, heartfelt experience and conviction in them. Because that's what we see in secularism, where money and success are the godheads, to the conventional re religions that we notice. But here, as much as we can explore, teachings are endeavouring, in fact, to put out a different understanding about things. And it's not the teachings of belief in, it's, if anything, we might say it's the teachings of non-clinging to. Non-clinging to anything, anywhere, anytime, in any moment whatsoever. Uh, heartfelt dedication, uh, realization and discovery of the tremendously profound, liberating significance of non-clinging. Anything, anywhere, whatsoever. One can believe in that, or not believe, it doesn't matter. One can believe in it like you can believe in anything else. Human beings are pretty eccentric most of the time. And when you and I give consideration to the spectrum of things that human beings cling to, it's pretty bizarre. There are views which are so out to lunch, and yet 
with tremendous certainty, people adopt them and cling to them no matter what. Whether it's the, the view of one which really amused me amongst many of them, of people who are immortalists. Immortalists are people who believe that oneself, one's body, one's mind, can live forever, eternally, if one only believes strongly enough. There's been no evidence of this in amongst the six billion people who are said to have roamed this earth. There are supposed to be as many people living today as there has been in history. And sometimes some of the members of the immortalists die. Which is terrible. And the immortalists say the reason that these others died was because they didn't believe strongly enough. We can't argue with that. And then there are others in Christianity, and I heard it from one of the uh, Anglican archbishops just a few months ago, <laughs> who believes that Jesus died on the cross and then physically travelled up and was resurrected upwards into heaven. I just think, wow. Can you imagine a passerby? And there's Jesus, that died on the cross, and then suddenly Apollo-like zooms and this archbishop said, I wish we'd had a photograph. And I thought, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> and with all the religious sincerity that takes place. But not only is there the sincerity and the identification and the clinging and the holding and the taking up of the, view, the viewpoint, but how easy the condemnation goes with it of those who don't uphold the same viewpoint. <laughs> who think that this particular religious viewpoint has got nothing to do with the enlightened and liberated teachings of Jesus. And I have said in the Buddhist world enough, which is irritates my conservative friends in the Buddhist, Buddhist world who, like uh, with other religions, are waiting for the next Buddha to come. And in the Buddhist world, the next Buddha is uh, regarded as Maitreya. His name is Maitreya, means more metta, means love, means friendship. And my response to that, and backed up with... Uh, some scholarship, if I may say, is the Buddhists are looking in the wrong direction. They're looking in the future for Maitreya come. And sorry, he's been and gone. It's that illiterate rabbi from
from Nazareth, Jesus, who is Maitreya Buddha, and the impact that he has had on this earth. And we need to look to the old texts of that period to see what the signs and the signals are for the next. Not and it's not Maitreya. So it's some criticism that one might make of the church, Buddhism, Christianity, or, or whatever. Not in order to put down in any way, but just to bring that freedom of heart and mind to the ability to raise questions. Raise questions to what any kind of clinging can do. And to look into ourselves as well, to see where there is, where there is clinging as well. And one of the things that sometimes we forget in, in, all, in all of this is that when you and I look at areas and issues of life and we say to ourselves, there's clearly clinging going on here, holding and attachments going on, the, the mind being wrapped and tied around, quite important that in the freedom of mind for us to express ourselves and to point things out, to state what we see. doesn't mean to say that one is advocating and clinging to another position. The actual willingness to point things out doesn't mean to say that one is taking a position of clinging in order to point to clinging elsewhere. But for that one has to see and know oneself very, very well and very, very deeply. Otherwise, clinging sets in in the form of arrogance, in the form of taking up a fresh position, in the form of superiority feelings. And all manner of clinging takes place when we're so pointing out what clinging is. Unless, as I say, we know ourselves well and deeply and where it's all coming from. So there's various forms of clinging which are going on in the world. In fact, the object of the clinging perhaps doesn't matter too much. It's just what's going on in that stickiness that can go on in the perception with feelings and associations which ends up building something around and we get stuck with it. And we might use our experience of, but we actually get stuck with something. And therefore, we wish to entangle all of that, to free the mind up from all of that, and to really have the sense deep inside, nothing in life is worth clinging to. Nothing, nothing, anywhere. That somehow, in its deepest sense, rather disrespectful to existence, to cling to anything, and particularly views about it. Years ago, 26 years ago, one of the uh, incidents of my uh, life, and probably we can all uh, go on forever about the various in incidents in our life which have uh, had an impact upon us. 
And one of a number which stands out for myself is in my first um, ever meeting with Ajahn Buddhadasa, uh, perhaps the greatest of all the teachers of Thailand of this uh, uh, century, Dharma teachers. And uh, certainly um, an unusually enlightened and insightful uh, human being. And upon meeting with him, he, Buddhadasa was rega- is regarded as the great reformer of Thai Buddhism. And my goodness, it needs it. And in the meeting with him, I asked him a question. I can't quite recall the, the exact wording, obviously, of the question. But essentially, it was, a, it was along the lines of what matters, what's significant in, in life. And he quoted a passage, Sabay Dharma Nalanga Vinasaya. Sabay Dharma Means nothing is worth, nothing, Sabay, nothing, no Dharma, no seeing, no Dharma, is worth clinging to. Nothing's worth clinging to. If you really want to understand what is, truly understand it, truly be clear, nothing is worth clinging to. And then had his robe over his shoulder. It was his customary. He lived in the forest for uh, 67 years. Pulled the robe off the top of his shoulder and he said to me, when I say nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to, I include everything, including this, And that kind of, uh, whatever, demonstration in in the moment touched me. And I then went to stay in the forest, in the hut there. And after being there two or three weeks, I said to him that I wanted to take ordination, expecting that there would be some response. There certainly weren't many Westerners in 1970, who were interested and committed to being Buddhist monks. I think there were about 50 in Thailand, less than that at that time. And then his remark surprised me. He said, anybody who changes their religion does so because they haven't understood their own. And in a world where religion, like sharks, hunt around the ocean looking for people to swallow up, to expand their empire, it was an unusual remark to make. Anybody who changes their religion does so because they haven't understood their own. And then he said, there's only one thing to understand in the Bible. If you understand that, then you've understood anything that has ever needed to be understood. What's he going to refer to? And he says, you don't even have to go very far in the, either, into the book, either. He said, it's on the first page of Genesis. 
think it's Genesis that he says that's the only thing to be understood. And he said, Thou shalt not bite from the tree of good and evil. And he said, no, no. And, and then he sent me away. wasn't interested in my uh, desire, my determination to uh, shave my head and wear brown curtains. And so I went away up to Laos, across the river, the Mekong. Used to be a reporter at that time, so I was covering some of the war, which is a fast way for desire into the monkhood. And after several weeks, hitchhiked across the river and hitchhiked back down to southern Thailand, and with a much uh, reinforced determination, said, I want to put on the robes, I want to shave my head, take the, the vows of the monkhood, etc. And then he arranged for it, he saw that. I wasn't going to be shaken off. So sometimes in the pithy one-line statement, to break that one-line statement, to run deep with it into the being, will tell us everything that we ever need to understand, everything we ever need to know, ever to realize, ever to discover. And the precursor for that, the, the invitation to that is as much as, human be- as humanly possible, we are free from clinging. The clinging is not our support, it's our blind spot. It's not the resource for discovery, it's that which prevents us from seeing well and seeing clearly. No clinging, anything, do anywhere, anything, any, anywhere. The danger with the repetition of it should be apparent. One keeps repeating the same thing ad nauseum. One will end up with the dogma of don't cling to anything. And one will find oneself clinging to the viewpoint rather than seeing that it's a simple resource for liberation, it's not something worth clinging to. One's got to be very clear, as I said earlier, in one's being that one's not clinging. Because what's the difference between clinging to that and clinging to the loopy idea of that this body is, is Im- immortal if we only believe it enough? In the area of clinging, it can't stand by itself. One of the growing appreciations of Dharma teachings is it's helping to shake up very slowly some kind of classical ideologies which we have clung to. We hardly even notice the degree of clinging that's taken place. And one of those which has had a strong influence in our culture is the one-liner repeated with mantra-like enthusiasm in various ways is, I think, therefore I am. 
we say about these philosophers, influence that they had? They're just metaphysicians, they're just theorists, they're abstractionists, they're just people who live in the realms of ideas or whatever. And some of us, and I would include myself, actually used to think that as well, that philosophers were a bunch of heady people who only felt at home in uh, university environments and in the world of uh, books and didn't have much relevance for the rest of us. But I have to say I've been forced reluctantly to change my view. Any any reading of history, any examination of cultural influences, the influencing formations of society and that what makes you and I up right there in the thick of it are the philosophers. Their views have had immense influence in our psyche. Whether it's the think, therefore I am schools, and going back through previous subsequent generations to the Greeks and the Romans, etc. Powerful, influential forces in our culture and our, uh, in our environments. Just like the media and television and scientists, etc. Philosophers have known they can shape the movement of consciousness. And one of those has been the think, therefore I am. In which, as that view has become identified with, it's given strong rise to a sense of self, a strong rise to the sense of the problems of existence, can be worked with and worked through, through thinking exclusively, a strong suspicion of ways and means of looking into the depths of being through non-thought, and a strong conviction as well that the problems of this earth can be solved through increasing sophistication of technology, of, of the sciences, and of the force of thought. And that shows itself in countless television programs, countless essays, countless books, and the strong belief in objectivity that goes with it. I think, therefore I am. And here we ask, I think, therefore I am what? I think, therefore I am. To think is the proof I am. If we're vigilant with thought and with its manifestation and its appearance in consciousness, we'll perhaps begin to notice what the thoughts are connected to. And perhaps a deeper teaching about this living experience is not, I think, therefore I am, and the kind of notion of separation that it brings. The notion of exclusive, narrow, personal choice in life. The notion of I and this world, and I exist in this world, my, my relationship to this world, 
and the I and the my which is so strong in the th I think therefore I am message perhaps for us to stop and to look more sensitively and heartfully at our connectedness at our interdependence with each other at the self arising in relationship to what and not have any prior supposition to cling to I think therefore I am I choose therefore I am I want therefore I am I must have therefore I am not having any prior position to work with so that there's just simple bare awareness and to see what the mind moves towards and what it clings to just see what it moves and clings to there's a sequence that contributes to this clinging and one feature of that sequence is that there is a contact you, anything in your life which has arisen today and one has stopped and looked at oneself today and said in all that's gone wrong what have I clung to today? what have I clung to? and so there's some kind of contact I had an experience in the past with somebody my father, my mother, my, my school teachers, my church my work colleagues or whatever it might be and while I've been going through this day there's been a kind of inner contact through in this case memory I remember them but I didn't just remember them I was clinging to an issue around them and in this clinging it got stickier and stickier and I could say to myself a thousand and one times during the flow of the day I've got to drop it but I'm clinging I'm holding and the clinging and holding can take place simultaneously every time the memory comes and people will say us, the teachers, and to themselves and their friends. I have been clinging to this situation for years. Can't give it up. I can't let it go. I can't pierce through it. I can't change it, even dramatically nor gradually. What's going on in the movement inside that the end result is clinging? One aspect of it has to be that there is a contact contact through the image through the idea contact through whatever from the contact it produces a particular kind of feeling the feeling will either be pleasant it will either be unpleasant or somewhere in between from the contact producing the feeling it will produce some kind of desire some kind of wanting from it anything, anything you cling to 
somewhere in it there's contact. Somewhere in it there's a feeling associated with it. Of course it can change from pleasant to unpleasant, unpleasant to pleasant or in between. And somewhere there is some wanting which is going on. And through the movement one ends up in clinging and in fact the, the movement itself can be a clinging. And on all of this we crucify ourselves and existence. The movement, obsessions, addictions, uh, grasping after, reaching for past, present or future, all common enough. But in the movement that goes on, sometimes it's, it can be very intensely pleasant. I really want him, her, this or that. Movement goes on strongly, one secures it. Therefore, a reinforcement of the pleasant, pleasurable feeling and the pleasurable sensation. But as we know, sometimes the price for our pleasure is terrible long-term pain. Sometimes one brief short-lived moment of pleasure with another human being, with a habit, with a circumstance, or whatever. With any form of clinging that goes on with it, any form of attachment that goes on with it, or whatever it might be. The consequences can go on and on, and it sometimes can seem so totally unfair. How is it that movement with contact, with desire, with clinging, pleasure was short, pain went on and on? <coughs> and perhaps all of us, I'm sure, have done in our life plenty of silly, foolish, unwise, unskillful, unnecessary things. And afterwards, the thinking has gone on afterwards and one thinks, God, life seems so imba imbalanced. A little bit of pleasure and such a hassle afterwards from one's own mind or from the minds of others or both or whatever. So we're now looking at what we make contact with, what's the feeling which arises with it, what's the result of what takes place, where is the clinging in all of it? And if we can keep a track of that kind of movement and therefore finding in ourselves a wisdom in life and a clarity in life which simply has enough wisdom in it not to follow up those things which we know are not worth following up. Therefore, it's the teachings of non-clinging. Sometimes uh, the signals for all of these things in life do arise, they do come. Sometimes we don't realize it till too late and then we're in the soup of things. But sometimes it's, there's a movement towards whatever it might be. 
and there's just enough little wisdom left, enough small voice of understanding which is left, which is there, which has the caution of awareness to it. That we wish to support and protect. That's all. Something sacred about that. Moment of awareness, which before the impulse occurs, before the movement, before the unwise act starts, before the trouble begins, and just enough awareness to catch it, drop it, and take the clinging out of it. Some of us will have been in relationship, I mean intense relationship, intimate relationship, po close, personal, arm-in-arm, arm, sexual relationship, their popular area for the charge of the emotional life. And it can be that two people come together, spend time together, are together, lovers together, etc. And there's contact and feeling and association and, and all the intimacies of life that go with it. And a pleasure it can be, or sometimes a pleasure it can't be. Then there may come the parting of company. And when two people are in the process of change and in the parting of company with each other, it's not only that they're both learning to let go of clinging to each other. It's just as hard, in my observation, and working with people, it's just as hard for the one who makes the decision to end the relationship as for the one who's on the receiving end of it. Common fallacy, oh well, the one who chose has got it easier because he or she chose to end the relationship. No truth in it. It's just as hard both ways. And in the parting of between two people, as an example, it takes letting go of any clinging and habit and pattern in association and a renewal and a reconnection with one's own being, which may have got lost to a degree through the outgoingness of a relationship with somebody. I'm talking of lovers, but it could be friend, it could be relative, it could be parent, or whoever. And in that change which takes place, sometimes the harsh word comes out, blame, criticism, judgmental mind, misunderstanding. And if there's more awareness in that time, we throw something out at another human being. We may say later, oh, I just said that, I didn't mean it. <coughs> Some people have heard things that we have said and have never forgotten. Never. And some things which were said in the heat of the moment were only, not only never forgotten, but as a result of being never forgotten, one was never forgiven. And we say, oh, well, it's their problem. 
they should let it go. They shouldn't be holding on to that. I just said it in the heat of the moment. I was just reacting at the time. But sometimes the cost of the single one-line statement, one-word statement, in the heat of the moment can land in the deepest place inside another human being. Why? Because we weren't aware of the impact and the potential consequences of what we put out. Why? Living in reactivity, not enough depth inside of ourselves. So, when there's change going on in our life, small changes or big changes, changes are going on inwardly, backwards and forwards, up and down, for and against, likes and dislikes, all movement going on inside of ourselves. What comes out of us when there's a lot of movement going on inside of ourselves? Sometimes what comes out of us, through the body, through speech, through the mind, through the heart, or whatever, might be revealing what we're clinging to. It's a pity to throw cruise missiles at other human beings because we're clinging to a position, which we would have to do to launch the missiles. I'm talking actually and metaphorically. So awareness in life, steadfastness in life, teachings of non-clinging, requires a genuine knowing of who we are, of what we are. Genuine awarenesses in life of what the mind does out of contact, feeling, desire to clinging. And if we can just have enough vigilance in our life just to watch that go on with as much non-attachment and non-clinging to as possible, it would be a great act of kindness for this earth and for its people. We wouldn't need any meta-meditations, loving-kindness meditations. wouldn't have to sit here all day and have to deal with the pains in our backs and our uncooperative knees. We'd have realized and understood something about the teachings of non-clinging and what a tremendous act of service and kindness it is to ourselves and others because we're not going to cling to what was, not going to cling to what is, not going to cling to what might be, and therefore we genuinely experience the freedom of our being and that brings its own warmth and state of at ease with existence. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings be free from clinging. May all beings live and act with wisdom. So let's have our minute or two of quietness together, shall we please?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.